Well, as you guys hopefully know, this what you're in here for is organic disciple making is the title of it. It's actually stolen from this book right here. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm, act, I'm not going to start off at the beginning of this book because what we're going to do uh, with me is a little one step ahead of this. This is basically what you would do with somebody who's a believer to disciple them. So this course, just as an overview, is basically organic disciple making from the beginning. So the question is, now how do you organically and naturally reach your family and friends, those who are lost... So it's starting out there. And then as they come to know the Lord, and how do you disciple them to maturity, and what does that look like, and so that they're able to go and do likewise. So it's a reproductive model. This actually starts at the stage of believer. And so Mike is actually going to take over this class eight weeks from now, after I do the whole section on reaching uh, your, the lost around you. So... That's the goal of this class is so that you would come away from here and you would be able to like have a really clear idea and not just an idea, understand what it means to to reach your lost family and friends and to disciple them to maturity in a very organic and natural way. That's what we're trying to achieve here. We want it to be so that you don't feel like you're you're going through a system or a program that's like forcing you to do something that seems very strange, awkward and weird. That's not what we want. Because uh, sometimes, and I don't know if you experience this, we're going to get into this next class as well, how it can be very almost uh, unnatural. Uh, some of the programs and the way they teach people to reach others, and, and you're thinking, I don't really have, want any part of that, because that's, um, that's, that's not me, that's not, that's not good at all. So... Before we get into the how-tos, like the very practical, okay, step one, step two, this is what it looks like kind of stuff, this morning we're going to lay the, the, the groundwork for this and look at the foundations of discipleship, understanding just in the general sense, what is discipleship? What is organic disciple-making? And in order to do that, I want us to go back and start with, at the very beginning, the New Testament. But before we do that, I actually want to ask you guys something, because it's, it's important that we understand this word. When I'm using the word organic, what do I mean by that? Well, Some farmer in Oregon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But before I say what I mean by that, I'd actually like to hear what you guys think when you hear the term organic. What do you think of? Natural. 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 Not forced. Not forced. Natural, not forced, uh, changes as grows, no chemicals added. Mm-hmm. Right, you're not sticking to a rigid, it's not a rigid box, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not rigid, not superficial. Yeah, yeah, formula, yeah, cookie cutter is good. Uh, if I can only spell. Is that one word, cookie cutter? Hyphen, maybe? Yeah. 
Flexible. Those are all good words. It's tied to a solid root, but it's not. Everybody's different, so we approach people differently. We don't. There's not one size fits all. Yeah. So not one, not one size fits all is a good expression, right? Yeah, those are some good terms. I think good words to describe basically what we're talking about here. It's think of it in, in especially today. The word is used a lot in reference to food. Hey guys, we got seat here, but there's also t- there's some chairs right there. So, so this is exactly how. All right. Good to have you. My fault. We just started anyway. God, it's that woman you gave me kind of thing. We know who's real fault it is. Yeah. Leadership. So we're talking about organic. What is organic? Starting off just defining that word. And this pretty much nails it because this is what we're talking about. You guys, we're on the same page. When I'm using that word organic, this is, this is really what we're talking about. Not forced. It's not cookie cutter. It's, it's not something that's not one size fits all. What it is, it should be very natural. It's, and you're able to take a principle and adapt it to who you are in your situation. And it seems and it feels like, yeah, this fits. This, this makes sense. So, and today we're seeing it all in all kinds of ways in terms of organic food, right? It doesn't have chemicals on it. It isn't like processed. It isn't forced. You haven't, you haven't manipulated it. You basically allowed it to uh, respond to its particular environment and worked with it within that environment. I just thought one more thing I think wanted to say because I think it's kind of important is that um, there can be a difference where I think organic particularly means we actually really care about the person as opposed to, you know, we're church as a whole we're trying to do a do a outreach and so we're all okay you gotta participate and you just a number right you know yeah try mm-hmm. to try to get try yeah. to get as many people of yeah that's a good way uh, yeah. yeah yeah right it, it actually yeah. being yeah. organic you actually care about the person right, as opposed right. to like just their soul and their, yeah. Their, yeah so i don't know how you yeah um, but it, it allows yeah. you to allows you to focus on them yeah. Yeah. i don't know so in the in the new testament Now, organic discipleship was something very common in the Hebraic and Greek world. It was was something they did all the time. A disciple was chosen or taken in by a particular rabbi, and and this person would have to be respected because the disciples would want to to follow them. But the disciple, actually, they could make an inquiry, but the disciple was never actually, uh, it wasn't their choice. It was the rabbi's choice. So the rabbi would always be the one to decide and choose, whereas a disciple could say, would, could I follow you? They could ask to follow them. It's interesting, even choice of words. If you look through the New Testament, it's always about following. And this is the, this is the interesting part, is it's not about entering a class or a program or anything like that. It's about following. And in that following, and this is where the lessons happened. Because once that relationship was agreed upon, you'd be my disciple. When you just agreed to be someone's disciple, you basically agreed to stand by them and follow them and walk, be with them all the time. 
So you're, you're giving up a lot of your own personal rights and time and freedom and everything else because you're not, hey, we'll meet at the classroom at 1 p.m. And, and meet for an hour and then you go do your thing. No, it's like, come on, let's go. And uh, I've got to go do some shopping. And guess who's helping you do some shopping? The disciple. You've got to go to take your car into the, the shop. Guess who goes with you? The disciple. The whole process is, is like that. They follow and they observe. And in this process... One of the things that also happens is there's lots of the disciple is, asks lots of questions. And then they, because the, what they're trying to do is draw out from their discipler everything they can learn. They want to become like them. That's the whole idea. Dennis McCollum, this guy who wrote this particular book, he, he says this in, in it. He says, the process of discipleship was a complete shaping of a new rabbi a passing on of everything the rabbi had, his character, his knowledge, his values, and his wisdom. Ancient Jewish discipleship was an educational process, but it contained much more than our modern concept of education. Rabbis transmitted biblical knowledge, but the close association in daily life also transmitted elements not found in books. The rabbi sought to transmit his outlook, wisdom, and character. This was personalized education where two men formed a close, trusting relationship. So unlike our classroom model of today, that where a pupil shows up for a certain time, receives a lesson, then goes home, organic life was the classroom in that ancient model. Lessons, as I mentioned, organically happened in life throughout the day. So if the rabbi was cut off in traffic, the disciple would watch and see how he responds. Get the number on that donkey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that right there is a lesson, as we all know, right? We all know if you've had kids, you know how it works. They're watching, observing, and following in every situation, the good and the bad and the indifferent. Like, oh, I wish they wouldn't have saw that one. Or, Forget that lesson, kids. <laughs> you do much better than me. <laughs> So, or if a rabbi had some money stolen from him, let's say, he might turn to his disciple and ask, what do you think I should do about this? And right there is a lesson. He can, on the one hand, teach the disciple. The disciple could look to him, see his response, and they could think through a real-life scenario, which is incredibly powerful when you see people in real life. And you see the response reactions, and then even you see the failures because we all are going to fail. And that's one of the things we don't like about closeness. I don't want anybody to get close because when you get close, they see you as you really are, and most of us don't like that. Because to be seen as we really are, it shatters what we, what we want everybody to perceive about ourselves. And when they, when they see us who we really are, it's, it's sometimes feel, we feel vulnerable. We feel a sense of, oh no, um, you won't like me anymore. <laughs> and that's what you even look at, at marriage. is interesting. Once the covenant is there and you know you're really secure in that relationship and you feel like, okay, now I, you can let the walls down and the person starts to see who they've really married, right? <laughs> Boy, did I score. Yeah. So, so now let's look at specifically, if you do have your Bibles, just the discipleship. This whole, so there's discipleship in the New Testament. Let's look specifically at discipleship of Jesus. 
If you turn to Luke chapter 4, when Jesus, when Jesus stepped onto the, the public scene and became known, he was like 30 years old, he was in obscurity before then. The first thing that happened is we started to build his reputation. He does not get disciples right away. What he first does is he goes, begins preaching and healing and doing these things. In Luke 4, you'll see, we're going to walk through Luke and you'll see how this develops, this discipleship model. Luke 4, could someone read that, 30, verses 31 through 41, 10 verses. And he went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with, cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's <coughs> mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So this is the first thing Jesus does. And to announce himself or to make himself public, he showed, he's in a synagogue and he was given the, the scriptures, opened them up, taught them, and then he starts performing these miracles. And as you can see, this has some wow factor, has some shock. Nobody's following him at this time because there's nobody who would follow him. There's no, he has no reputation. They don't know anything about him. But Jesus shows up on the scene and immediately they're like, wow, this guy speaks with authority. Forget speaks like, with authority. He's, he's cast out demons with a word. He's healing people. This is unbelievable. And so they're very interested. And it's interesting, after they left the synagogue, you can see the relationship with Peter. Peter's interested. Peter's one of those guys who are there at the synagogue saying, wow, is this the Son of God? Is this, like, I mean, this must have been racking his brain because he arose in verse 38 and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, which means Simon invited him to his house. So, and then we also know Simon's married because there's his mother-in-law and she's, she's sick. And so... Simon is now incredibly curious, who is this guy? But he's not following this point. He's, he's having over for dinner, he's checking him out, and he's, it must have just, his mind must have been going in circles a million miles an hour. All of them, if you could imagine being in that environment, who is this guy? So build, Jesus is building his reputation, and he, it goes quick. He doesn't take, like, years to build it. He's building it fast, like instantaneously, as no one has ever spoken like this guy, and no one has ever done what he's doing. And so uh, he instantly has a reputation, and uh, possibly being the Son of God, the Christ. For, for many, that's the question. And then um, after he had, had encountered Jesus 
um, that day, he also encounters another powerful moment where he's still not Jesus' disciple. And if you look at Luke chapter 5, this was a turning point as well, a big turning point, because Peter now encounters him in, in a way that has, he has an amazing response to it. With someone, chapter 5, verse 8. Okay, let me just, this is his response. But what happens is Jesus tells him to push the boats out into the water to catch some fish, and they've been fishing all day, and these guys are fishermen, right? <laughs> that sounds insulting, and it sounds like a joke. And he says, let's catch some fish. And he pushes it out just offshore, and as we know, there are so many fish that it almost sinks the boat. They can barely pull it in. And then this is what Peter responds when this happens, how he responds in verse 8. Someone read verse 8. who were partners with Simon, it says. So they're, they're fishing partners. These guys were good friends, and they're in business together. So the th- these three disciples, and then right after this, Jesus says to him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. But he's alluding to what's going to happen. He, he says from here, he says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That is a sign of somebody who's willing. He's showing, to the, he's showing to the rabbi that he's willing to follow wherever. And I'll give up everything to follow you. Because it's not till chapter 9, uh, no, not 9, what is it, 8 or 6, sorry, that Jesus actually picks the 12. So these get, they're following him, but they're, te- they're not his disciples yet. He has not chosen them. So now what they, what they are doing, just like many people, we're checking this guy out. We're going to follow him around and see what he's doing. And they're just following and observing him at this point. And then if you turn over to Luke 6, Luke Luke 6, verses 12 through 16. Someone read that, verses 12 through 16. And it was at this time that he went up to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when he came, he called the disciples to him, and chose twelve of them, whom he had, whom he also named as apostles: Simon, who was named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called, who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who was, who became a traitor. So yes, now he, he selects these 12 men, and he says, he also names them apostles, which in that time, what is an apostle? Anybody know the, the raw definition of apostle? No, it's, it's a, it means technically a sent one, one who is sent. So these guys, they're not commissioned yet, they're not sent but they're selected and they're brought near to Jesus. We, we know at this point probably there could be thousands of people already following Jesus. He has such a reputation. As you could tell, he's blowing everybody's minds is what he's doing. The people are following him, checking him out, observing him. But now these ones have been selected by Jesus. So the rabbi, as they know it, has, he's said, these are my guys. 
and I'm going to disciple them. And so he connects with these 12 guys. And then all that they do from here on out, what you find they do, nothing. He, he has them doing nothing. All that you, 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 you hear from here on out is questions they have or questions he has for them. So they're interacting about all that's happening. What do you guys think? What do you say? Jesus, when you said this, what did you mean when you said this? And this is the typical relationship where it's, it's question, it's answer. It's, it's also might be observation. It might be rebuke or correction. But what they're doing is really, they're just, where Jesus is in front of them and they basically just walk around and follow him wherever he's going. He's not giving them anything to do. Just come and follow me. That's all I want you to do. What's that? Hang out. Hang out. That's all I want you to do. What's the agenda? Follow me. We're just going to hang out. That's it. And, and that's very typical. And the discipleship model was like that. Again, that's very organic. It's very uh, just about life, right? It, you just follow Jesus. And then in Luke, Luke chapter 9, if you turn over there, verses 1 and 2, this is the first time Jesus now, and this is some time has passed, that he gives them their first mission, their assignment. Luke 9, verses 1 and 2, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And to heal. I'll stop there. So here he is, Jesus, now sending them out to do ministry and work. They've observed him for quite some time now. And we know at this point in the Gospels that he's getting close to entering Jerusalem and coming to the end, near, closer to the last phase of his ministry, which is pretty significant. So it's three years, the first probably at least year and a half, these guys are doing nothing but following. And that's, that's very typical. And so all of the lessons were just organic lessons that happened throughout life. As you, life happens. Stuff happens. They get to see him heal, they get to see him cast out demons, they get to hear him teach, and they get this extra special advantage of getting off beside everybody and saying, Jesus, I have no clue what you're talking about. What do you mean? And he would explain it to them. We see that in the parable of the sower. He says this parable, and then they, it says that they came away and they said to Jesus, what does this mean? And Jesus said, blessed are you, because it's for you, to, it's you guys to be revealed to. I said that in a very confusing way. But. So anyways, this is, this is a very natural, organic way of discipleship. And this model was to be continued on, even now we move into the early church. Because as the church, Jesus sends the disciples, what does he tell them in Matthew 28? Make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, how should they do, how do you make disciples? Did they say, Jesus, how do you make disciples? No, they, they've been discipled. They know the discipleship environment. They're going to go. He commissions them to go and do what he did to them. So that was the idea. The church was to go and make disciples. Well, how do you do that? How I did it with you. This very organic model. And this actually, this continued on in the history of the early church. You can see this happening as we look at, as we watch this move throughout history, especially the first couple hundred years. But uh, what something happens. The church is under persecution by Rome, serious persecution. It's nasty. It's pretty much underground. And then Constantine shows up and brings incredible relief. He basically frees the church from its bondage and he allows the church to come from underground to a, not just public, but he, he, what he does is he changes the game completely. He actually 
every, church buildings are starting to be built, and there now he brings honor and esteem to the leaders in the church, and they became high-paid positions. He wanted to make it so that these people, they need to be honored, they need to be regarded. And so they, they were making as much or more than anybody in society. What does that do all of a sudden? It changes the game. People now all of a sudden with impure motives are very attracted to those positions. And so with the buildings, with the high wages, and with people creeping in that were lusting for that, and the recognition, the honor, the esteem, and, and everything that came with it, the glory of it, it started, things changed. And you could start to see that it becomes institutionalized. Now, if you wanted to be discipled, you pretty much had to go to the building, and the professional clergies were the one who were, ones who were doing it. And then, which that's fine, things are still, there's discipleship still happening, but then, as we know, more and more corruption comes in. Because now, isn't that long afterwards, uh, Latin becomes the language of the Mass, as they call it at the time. And the common people are drifting away from Latin. It's like this is, the, this is now the language of clergy and the scholars. And they're the only ones who know it eventually. And so you have, now you have people who see these priests and all their garments and these buildings and everything else, that they're the ones who know God. They became the people's mediators. So they're cut off from the Word of God not able to know it, to hear it, to understand it. And the people go in darkness because they don't know the Word of God. And these, and these clergy are living in darkness because they don't know the Lord at all. They don't know Him. They don't know His ways. And what now they have this perfect position. They're esteemed. They're honored. They're rich. And they've got people in darkness who have no clue and superstitiously look upon them as people who are like their mediators to God. And so they revere these people. They honor them. This is, this is, these people are like, they think, basically, they go meet with Jesus privately, and they come back and bestow blessings on the people. And so the people became very superstitious. They became very lost in all their ways. And this is the context, the setting in which the Reformation comes. And, and now, so discipleship is done. Discipleship is not happening on any level. And with the Reformation was transformation, especially in the regard to discipleship. Luther's main goal was to get the common people, the people needed to hear and know the Word of God. They had to know it. And so he broke all conventions and all rules and made sure that the people got the Word of God in their own language. And so that alone was massive. People were encountering the Word and that was transforming their lives. And they're coming to know the Lord, and their lives are being transformed. And so discipleship, you start to see it happening. If you, Some of the histories you read about the Reformation, about some of the, the main leaders, they started bringing on pupils and students, and some had more of an organic discipleship model, some less. Some were more just strictly classroomish, because at that time, the classroom and that was really developed, and it was basically come into a classroom, and that's where you learned, and you left, because universities were, were rampant and starting at the time. Well, it started earlier, but they were becoming very popular. And so the, the form and the way and the means of education now was much more like classroom style and less organic discipleship style model. But then there's been movements. Since then, we've had all kinds of different movements who've done 
things from, you know, going back to completely, almost in rejection of anything institutionalized. You think of groups like the, say, the Quakers or the, you know, the Anabaptists and stuff. There was such a rejection of so many things institutional that we had different models popping up all over the place. The Reformation really brought a sense of also freedom, and, and that freedom took the expression, I think at times, almost rebellion. People just do whatever you want. You know? And so there, we had all kinds of things happening. Since then, the last 500 years, we've had mo very organic mo uh, discipleship models and very institutionalized models and, and all around the place. But now, where we're at today, if you, if you fast forward and you look at what's going on, Things have changed, and we have uh, today. It's typical. It's what would you say if I was to ask you that question? How, how, what does a discipleship look like in the church today? Typically, I mean, there's different. Again, there's different models, but typically, I've done a lot of talking. Now it's your turn. <laughs> yeah. you know bring them to church. Yeah. Bring them to church. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, help and pray a prayer, bring them to church. There's not much after that. It's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of left on their own to figure it out. So like there's a few yeah. churches you can go to and yeah. check them out or come to my yeah. or, or maybe there's a, you know, maybe there happens to be a, a class, like a found, like a... Yeah, take a class, you take a class. Like this. Here we are talking about organic discipleship in a classroom. <laughs> but... There's, 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 there's definitely a place for a classroom. It's just that uh, it seems like today you might, you're converted, you're given a Bible, told to read John, and encouraged, you know, get plugged into a church, right? It's, and then you leave. It's pretty, okay, job's done. Away you go. Or even like short-term, some short-term mission trips where they go yeah. Yeah, there's totally. Not, uh, there's not oversight there to help necessarily to help. Yeah. Up the, it, it's different than going in and, and training up a, a pastor and some elders to take over. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. help the country or the area. When Duran was um, in school and they were going down to the street in LA with the homeless, she said the groups would come in. And she wouldn't be negative, she said it was helpful, but they would give food and do all this right. stuff, and then it'd be gone. And said, People yeah. get in line, get whatever they can yeah. get. Yeah. She said what they wanted was relationships. They wanted yeah. to see the same person or see somebody mm -hmm. coming back because it indicated to them that somebody does really care, care about them rather than yeah. uh, totally. It's almost the other other side. It's just yeah. taking care of um, I don't know, fulfilling a need and you the one who's giving rather than the one who's receiving. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, just real quick, there's this guy who, when I was kind of a new, kind of, you know, backsliding or whatever, and then uh, but this guy met him at this church, and he took me out snowboarding, and uh, and we just hung out a bunch of times, and, and he was just so cool to people on the lift. He would, like, shake people's hands and talk to them, and we were sitting by this little girl, and he was like, hey, what do you think about my friend Jesus? And and uh, she's like, oh, I don't really believe in God, and my rabbit died and stuff. And he you know, <laughs> looks over me and smiles, and he's just like, well, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that's part of life, you know. And he was just so, 
He's just the, the coolest guy ever. Huh. And like just being like hanging out with him, like it made a huge impact on my oh, life. Oh, for but sure. I, I had no idea that yeah. that is what actual discipleship you know, mm-hmm. was. I, didn't, yeah. I never made that connection. Yeah. It's, it's so organic and natural that, yeah, you don't think, oh, oh, now it's discipleship time, right? You can think of how, you know, the only reason we make it through life, and this is a fact, is that somebody's in our life helping, uh, picking us up when we fall, kicking us on the butt when we need it, encouraging us when we're down, because every single one of us fails, gets discouraged, gets overwhelmed, you know, gets to the point where we, we need help. We could not make it on our own. And God, He's designed it so that this is why He says He created the body. And this is why Jesus, he's, He commissions the church to make disciples. Because it's not, we don't need some, just some data, information. That's the thing about a modern mind. Just give me the data, give me the knowledge, and I'll be good. Wrong. You won't be good. You're gonna, you, it's a journey and it's difficult and you need somebody who's walked the path to help you walk your path. And it helps them as well. It, it, you know, it's, 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 not, it's, it's going both ways, but one who's been through the road can at least give you some guidance and help you. And just think of a child who's without parents or any guidance in their lives. They're usually train wrecks, right? How do you not be? But if you also look at believers who have had nobody in their lives, they're, they're usually train wrecks. You know, you look at someone's converted, and then they hop on a horse, and then they go do ministry. You watch those ministries, and they're usually disasters. This guy ends up, le- it, it's a gong show where it's, um, the, most of the sects and cults and Horrible issues in the church today are, because, are the result of those kind of passionate leaders, zealous. They're guys who can create a following really fast. They are converted. They're on fire, and they're going to go do something for God. Well, they needed to be discipled. They skipped that process and be, because of their zeal. So all of, every single one of us need someone to walk with us. And, and if you've ever found that per, people in your life, like Cameron shares his story, this person comes into his life, and wow, what a difference that made. You know, every, if we went around this table, if someone's made a difference in your life, it's because someone, a person, got, was in your life, and they encouraged you when you needed it, they, they were kicked you in the butt when you needed it, they were there when they prayed with you when you needed it, they were just, and a lot of times they were just there. They were, they were there to help, they were there to support, they were there to encourage, and it's a difference maker. Just being involved in someone's life. You even think of how the trades work today. This is we're so far away from this model that you know it used to be a, an apprenticeship model. You wanted to be a carpenter, well, you had to find a master craftsman and see if he would you could be his apprentice. And then you would he he would learn from him and he would walk with him and he would guide you and direct you and and so the point until you're ready and then release you and let you go. A very much a discipleship model. And today, if you want to be a carpenter, you go take a class. And if you pass the grades, then you go get a job, which is really too bad. <laughs> so, many of it, so much of it is that model. Let's just say a person wants to be in ministry. Well, if the ministry is making disciples who can make disciples, you shouldn't go off to a college or a university, get stuffed with a bunch of information, think you know everything, and then you go and now you get a job. But that's how everything works nowadays. And it's really, it's a model we have to, I think, get away from. The reformation needs to begin to happen, and especially in the church, where it should be the church of all places, should be a place where discipleship takes place. 
But that doesn't mean now, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to ramp up the, the discipleship program. And it's going to be, you know, step one, we're going to, all of you are going to go out today and what, what you're going to do is, you know, you, yeah, knock on five doors. You, you, you're going to you're going to get your disciples, and then you're going to do, and then this is the you know, and here's the curriculum. You know, yeah. But, Oh, for sure. And and you have to make time. I mean, you have to make time for them. Absolutely. So the yeah. question is, everybody is so stinking busy. Yeah. How do you prioritize? Make you just have to do it. You just have to squish it. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to do it. Yeah. Does it yeah. feel organic that way? Is it organic that way? I mean. Oh yeah, I think it's organic. Like, what's organic? There's elements that aren't organic. Like when you call someone and said, "Hey, what are you doing this Friday?" Right. Making getting something on the right. calendar. Right. And go, going for lunch. Well, that wasn't necessarily. Uh, what's organic about it is that it, it's the way life happens. That's the way we do life. Right. What might not be organic about it is the fact that you scheduled it. You put it on the calendar. That's. Yeah. But I think that's still organic. It's. It's just. It's not a. It's not a forced curriculum right. or a forced rubric that you put them through. It's really. It's doing life together, in relationship. But you have to decide that you're going to oh, yeah. prioritize this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, for sure. I mean, the initial, you have to, it's an investment and it, it's a commitment mm-hmm. for sure. I'm just going to be committed to that. And we're going to go through, we're starting, we're doing, we're going to deal with the basic things like, what does it mean to be a friend? What does friendship look like? And, and then also, prioritizing. You, ha- you can't spend time with everybody. So I think in, in, if a person, even if it was like, if we all just said just one person I'm going to invest in, that's huge. That, that's a hundred percent growth. <laughs> and, and sometimes we feel overwhelmed because we look at all the people and I just can't do it. Well, you, you're right. But one person, yes, you can. You, you can. you can become friends and you can invest in one person and you can walk with one person. Yes, you can. You have time. <laughs> and so we're going to look at that. And, and, and I really think the key is to being committed and building relationships. So much happens just in relationship. For example, and we, we're going to wrap this up right away here. It's like next class, we're going to talk about getting into, when you start reaching out to people, you're going to be amazed what will happen if you're just willing to build a relationship. That's all. It's so net. What we and we're going to see what we tend not to do is actually build relationships that, that lend themselves to friendships. We tend to have lots of acquaintances, associations, but we don't take those relationships where they need to be. I would say the most uh, the biggest time it's ever happened to me organically is when I didn't try and do anything, and then years later you hear the guy go, "Man, you had you because of you that I came to know the Lord." And it's like, really? <laughs> I don't remember saying anything to you. You know, you just kind of hung out with the guys, and uh, the next thing you know, they're coming to church, and, and God's doing a work in their life. You go, you feel like you didn't have anything to do with it, and that's that's really organic. Yeah, totally. You're shocked that you even had any kind of input in your life. Mm-hmm. You see. See, for, for me, I just find that I, because the there are steps. I'm not gonna say that I do have steps. Is that I pray. It begins with prayer. That I pray. Mm-hmm. If I don't have someone in my life, that God would bring someone into my life 
because I want to share. Yeah. So, so I want to pray, and then I want once I know someone, I want to pray that even more deeper than a relationship is in, is that God would bring me to love that person, you know, that, that everything that I'm doing is mo- motivation out of truly caring, mm-hmm. and that would be genuine. That, totally. Right, and that they can see yeah. that, right? So, oh, yeah. yeah. Scott's hit the nail on the head. First thing is prayer. Is this ends up to be a program, a method, and that type of thing. If if God, if you're not totally relying on Jesus Christ to do this through you, to love, absolutely, people, yeah, to open the doors to people, it becomes a program, and it becomes a New Year's resolution that <laughs> dies out in three months uh, on the thing. Everybody, you know, get excited about it. The, the first thing is to go before God and, and humble yourself to Christ to show you people. Help you love those people like Scott's talking about. Mm-hmm. Develop an honest, organic relationship, right? And not, yep. just, not just go out and think, okay, I got this job to do now. This is what my, uh, my Christian yeah. profession is. Yeah, totally. And that's what that's what we're gonna get. That's what we're getting into. Yeah. We don't. Sorry, we don't actually do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So yeah, we're gonna. That's what. That's exactly what we're gonna get into. We're gonna get into, like talk about. Of course, there's steps, and there is our steps, and of course, there's things you do, but the things you do and the steps you take are very organic. Yeah. So, let's pray, and we'll we'll fly out of here. Father, we're so thankful for our time, and we're thankful that you have given us this morning, and I just pray, O oh Lord, for us, for all of us, that you would cultivate in our hearts a love for you, for your name, for your kingdom, a love for the lost, a love for the people around us, that you truly would, as, as Scott and Keith has mentioned, work in, work in our hearts. Because unless you work, unless you give us a strength, unless you do a work, it is for naught. So we ask you, O oh Lord, to stir our hearts, to open our eyes, to cause us, Run after you and run after those who are around us. To the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Amen.